Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. A series where we're looking at grace and truth. And so um, you see this great banner uh, behind me here to kind of help visually remind us every time we come in uh, to church this year that we're looking at grace and truth. And so in this first half of the year, we're looking at grace And uh, specifically this morning, I'm continuing a series called Grace Canon, and you can see the words Grace Canon up here. And so uh, somebody last week asked me why I missed the opportunity to have a picture of a cannon firing the word grace across the screen. So that was a missed opportunity. So somebody, I'm sure, will do that at some point during the year. But Grace Canon, and we're not talking about a weapon, we're talking about the canon of Scripture. We're talking about the, the Bible as the canon of God's Word, and that's an ancient word that we use in our English language today. We don't use it all the time, and so, uh, but it's another way to talk about the Scriptures as we have them and uh, as we read them. And so we're focusing specifically on the Scriptures this morning in our message and over the coming weeks. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about why we're doing that um, here as part of our emphasis on grace. Well, what I want to do is, uh, is really open up God's Word to you this morning in a way where um, I'm going to be sharing a lot of Scripture, and my hope this morning is that as um, I read God's Word and as I um, kind of proclaim God's Word to you this morning, that you, in a sense, receive it and hear it and just allow it to um, speak to you and, in a sense, just kind of wash through um, the room and just allow you to really, in a way, absorb um, what God is saying. I'm going to kind of do an overview from, uh, from Luke's Gospel and also from the book of Acts. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture this morning. And uh, my hope is that as I do so, that the Spirit really moves in your heart and in the room to just help us get a hold of what this thing called grace is all about. Um, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that... Um, We've, we've really laid down a foundation for understanding grace. Uh, Pastor Cameron has shared already this year that um, grace is both powerful and personal. Right? You might remember a message where he emphasized that grace is powerful and it's personal. And uh, what we hear this morning, I think, will really help to reinforce those two aspects of grace. What we see in Luke's Gospel and in the book of Acts Grace is powerful and personal. We also understand from Scripture that grace is an attribute of God, an attribute of God, which simply means that grace is part of who God is. When we get to know God, one part of how we get to know him is we would meet God and we would say, wow, God is grace. That's part of who he is. Sometimes we we say that God is love, uh, God is just, God is kind, uh, but God is also grace. God is also grace. And one of the core scriptures we have for this year as a guiding scripture is taken from John chapter 1, verse 14. And you may be familiar with this verse, but it says, The Word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Um, Pastor Mark has also shared a message um, this year talking about some of the historical developments of grace and how the church has understood grace, this incredibly big idea in the Christian faith of what grace is. 
And he shared you know, some, some ancient figures and church fathers who've thought through this, like Pelagius and Augustine and then Calvin and Luther. There's lots of people who have written about grace and sought to understand it and to help us understand it. Um, but there were four things that Mark kind of shared at the end of his sermon. Grace is a free gift. We even heard that this morning, right, in the, in the verses that Mark read from Ephesians. It's powerful. It's entirely God's to impart to us. Grace is entirely at God's discretion. And it comes to us by faith and not by works. These are some core ideas about grace that we have inherited through church history, through people who have lived and died and come before us and have wrestled with what does grace look like from a Christian perspective. And we are the recipients of their understanding, and we get to understand it in our day, in our time, in a fresh way. But these ideas about grace did not simply come from, uh, from history. As I said, we continue to think about grace today, and I wanted to share a couple of quotes from current theologians and thinkers about grace. If you go to seminary, you might run into a book that you're forced to read by a guy called Horton, and he's a theologian who's uh, currently alive here teaching in the U.S. He says, in grace, God gives nothing less than himself. In grace, God gives nothing less than himself. So let's think about that for a moment. In grace, God gives himself. Right? So when we know we have a grace in contra happening, it's God himself is right there. In fact, he said, uh, grace is Jesus Christ in redeeming action. Uh, Jesus Christ in redeeming action. What this tells us is that God is not silent, uh, Jesus is not silent, and Jesus is not um, inactive. Jesus is doing something in the world today. Jesus is up to something. And uh, we get to be part of what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus is doing is called redeeming action. Uh, Jesus is not, not just doing anything kind of aimlessly. Jesus is very, very intentional in his work today. Jesus is intentional in putting right and, and, and putting back to original purpose and redeemed purpose everything that has been corrupted by sin, death, and hell. So every area of life, whether that's our personal, individual lives, whether that's big, big structural, kind of big issues in our society or in the world, it doesn't matter what level it is, big or small, Jesus is at work in the world redeeming or setting right everything that has been corrupted. And that's good news. That is great news. That is a work of grace that Jesus is, is doing that. Karl Barth was one of the um, leading uh, theologians of the 20th century. And he wrote that grace is always God's turning to those who not only do not deserve favor, but have deserved the very opposite. Um, if you think about uh, some of the things that Mark shared in his message, he talked about the idea that we, when we're born into this world, we are born under the slavery of sin. And, uh, and we're born into a sinful condition, and as such, um, there is only one circumstance and one way that we deserve to meet God. And it's not a good meeting. It's not the type of meeting that you would want for yourself or for anyone. It's a meeting of judgment. We, in our, in our sinful state, we deserve to meet God, but only in judgment. 
If we were to come face to face with God, we would, we would re- receive his judgment. And it would not be good. And so really, any time that we meet God in a way that is not judgment, that is loving, that is kind, that encounter is all about grace. That's what grace looks like. So, what do we take away from this? In the place where humanity and God meet, uh, grace exists. Anytime you have an encounter between a person and God, grace exists. And I say all this as an introduction to thinking about Luke's gospel. Because what do we find in the gospel stories? We find story after story after story of God and humanity meeting. Right? We have Jesus, fully God, fully human, meeting with people individually and meeting with groups of people. So if we know that grace is present and grace exists in those encounters, when we read what those encounters look like, what those meetings look like, then we get a picture of grace over and over. Uh, you might remember from your own study of Scripture, you might know that Luke um, not only wrote Luke's Gospel, uh, one of the four Gospels, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And so Luke is a great person to study because Luke, Luke's excited by this. He feels very affirmed this morning. Yeah, Luke is great. He responds positively anytime those words are spoken. So, yeah. So we're affirming Luke. We're also affirming the writer of the Gospel of Luke to clarify. Does that help? That helps. Um, he wrote the book of Acts, the story of the original or first Christians, the earliest Christians. And what's really helpful for us this morning is that we get to, to turn to both of those parts of the scriptures. And um, Luke was a very particular type of writer. He was actually a doctor, a physician, and um, he was highly educated, and he had a very methodical research approach to his writing. He wanted to go out, and he wanted to find eyewitness accounts. He wanted to make sure that he in- included lots of details in his writing. And in fact, Luke's writing is longer than some of the other Gospels, and it's very detailed, and it contains lots of little historical references. And Luke's doing that on purpose, to show how much he researched and how much he, he really wanted to get the in-depth story of what Jesus did on earth and also the early Christians. Um, Luke was also alive during the time of Jesus, and Luke actually traveled with the Apostle Paul. So Luke is a really great source for us to turn to this morning to look at grace. Okay, so let's jump in. And as a reminder, I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning, and what I want you to do is try to kind of, in a sense, take in this big picture of what grace looks like as it's presented to us in Luke. And it's important that we turn to scripture. Those ideas that I talked about, about grace... Uh, from the history of the church all the way up to the present, those ideas didn't come out of thin air. What we know about grace actually comes from a very trusted source, and that trusted source is the words of Scripture. And so it's important that we as a church turn to the words of Scripture to see for ourselves firsthand what grace looks like. And we're going to do that. Uh, we're, we're doing that right now with the, uh, with the New Testament series. So James last week when Kathy was here, myself talking about Luke, Uh, You're going to have other um, uh, uh, people coming and speaking from different parts of the New Testament. Later we'll talk about grace in the Old Testament, but it's important that we see for ourselves from the words of Scripture what grace looks like. 
So let's jump in. What I'm going to do on the screen is I'm going to ask a question, what does grace look like in Luke? And um, as I read scripture, I'm going to put a list up here of what grace looks like. I'm actually going to start with two passages from Luke. And I'm going to start with two passages that tell us the big picture story of what Jesus is doing and what grace looks like in a big picture sense. And I'm going to start in Luke chapter 2 with the story of an old man named Simeon. Now Simeon was this old man who was in the temple courts. And we really only know one story from his life. And that story is that uh, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, bring Jesus, who's a very, very young baby, he's basically a newborn, and they bring Jesus to the temple um, to perform some of the things required by the law. And there's this old man there called Simeon who had been promised by God that he would see God's salvation. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. So imagine the scene. We've got this old man and a very, very young baby that he's holding. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, O sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may not dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You might glaze over those words of Scripture. That might not mean much to you when you read it, but that's a profound declaration of grace. That Jesus coming into the world was a light for revelation to the Gentiles, but also glory of, the pe- of his people Israel. Luke, right away, is saying, hey, there's something really important you need to understand about Jesus. And those who were attuned to what was happening were able to pick up on it. And Luke uses Simeon's words to tell us Jesus is for Jews and Gentiles, which was a radical message at the time, and a radical message of grace. Very different than what had been said before. So what does grace look like? Meeting Jesus in person, hearing about his mission, and seeing salvation. We have all of these things happened in that brief encounter where Simeon got to see the salvation of God in the person of Jesus. He met Jesus, and he gets a glimpse into what the mission of Jesus looks like. Now, Jesus, a few chapters later in Luke chapter 4, actually tells us himself what his mission is. This is another example of what grace looks like because we get to see what God is up to in the world. Jesus goes to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. A little bit later, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove Jesus out of the town and took him 
to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So picture the scene. Jesus is back in his hometown. This should be familiar to him. This is uh, you know, a homecoming early in his ministry. And he preaches and he declares the mission of God. He declares what he is all about. And what is Jesus' What is Jesus' mission? Jesus takes the very famous words from Isaiah, good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That all is good news, right? Yeah, but the problem is when Jesus explains this good news, he says, but it's also for people that you normally don't like. Why did they get so furious? Because every example Jesus uses is people who his audience would say, well, they don't deserve this type of favor. Only we deserve this type of favor that you're talking about. But Jesus, early in Luke's gospel, is seen to be proclaiming grace, what it looks like and who it's for. And what it looks like is really great, and who it's for is not always who we think it's for. Freedom and favor. What does grace look like? Freedom and favor, especially for people we don't expect to receive it. A little bit later in uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon and in pure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With power and authority he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. What does grace look like? Hearing God's word and deliverance. In Luke chapter 5, we read that while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. What does grace look like? It looks like healing. A little bit later in Luke chapter 5, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, well, who's this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. What does grace look like? It looks like the forgiveness of sins. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus teaches, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. What does grace look like? Insight into the heart of God. Grace is expressed in a way where we get to know what things matter to God. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes into a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer. They were carrying him on, and the bearer stood up, or stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. What does grace look like? Raising the dead back to life. In Luke chapter 9, we read that late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, and said, send the crowd away so we can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. Well, they answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. And there were about 5,000 men there. But he, Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Jesus gave thanks and broke broke them, and then gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls full of broken pieces that were left over. What does grace look like? It looks like supernatural provision. In Luke chapter 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. That's a really great conversation, right? You ask Jesus a question, and he wants to know your answer, and you tell him the answer, and Jesus says, that's a really good answer, right? But it doesn't stop there, because the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who was my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What does grace look like? It looks like trying to advance this, compassion for enemies. In Luke 15, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What does grace look like? Salvation, even for those whose society hates. In Luke 22, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What does grace look like? Persistent prayer for humanity. In Luke 23, we read that two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun had stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. What does grace look like? Dying in our place and the offer of eternal life. Uh, this is just a snapshot of what grace looks like in Luke's gospel. When humanity and God meet, grace exists. And this is just a an overview, a list of what grace looks like. When you wonder, what does grace look like in my life? It might look like some of this. It might look like all of this at different points in your life. Who knows? But this is what grace looks like. Where we get an insight into the heart of God. Where we know what God's mission is in the world, and we get to be participants in that mission when we get to know and hear God's word, when we experience healing or deliverance, when we see supernatural provision, provision, when we think about someone who normally we cannot stand and instead of hate or division, we have just a glimmer of love for that person. Or we have an overwhelming sense of love for that person. Grace is active. Grace is growing in our lives. And we're experiencing deeper measures of grace. Grace 
is the offer of salvation as a free gift that we cannot earn. Grace is expressed in lots of different ways where humanity and God meet. Now remember that Luke didn't just write his gospel, he wrote the book of Acts. And what's fascinating there is that what we see in the book of Acts is what did the earliest Christians, those who lived during the same time period as Jesus and followed right after Jesus ascended into heaven, what did they think it meant to be a Christian? What did they understand Jesus' mission to be? Well, when it comes to grace, I'm going to give you, I'm just going to kind of cut to the chase. Here's the list from Luke, and here's the list from Acts. They're basically the same. When we read the book of Acts, we see very, very similar patterns of grace. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to the disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And then as part of his speaking to them, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does grace look like in Acts? Meeting Jesus face to face, hearing about Jesus' mission, and seeing salvation. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because they heard their own language being spoken, and utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears in our own native language? This is grace, the hearing of salvation in a way that makes sense to us. In Acts chapter 2, we read Peter's words as Peter gets up to give this great sermon explaining what is happening on the day of Pentecost. And Peter says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What does grace look like in Acts? It looks like the forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 3, we read that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, about 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man was lame from birth, and he was being carried into the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What does grace look like in Acts? It looks like healing, joy, wonder, amazement. 
In Acts chapter 4, we read that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there. So were Caiaphas and John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are now being asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. What does grace look like in Acts? It looks like boldness to face opposition with courage, and it looks like uh, salvation, and it looks like healing. In Acts chapter 5, we read that the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. What does grace look like in Acts? It looks like healing and deliverance. Later in Acts chapter 5, the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. What does does, uh, grace look like in Acts? It looks like supernatural provision. In Acts chapter 8, we read that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went on to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. What does grace look like in Acts? It looks like healing, deliverance, and joy. In Acts chapter 9, we read that Saul was breathing out out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he find any there who belong to the way that's Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, O Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. What does grace look like in Acts? It looks like salvation, even for someone who actively opposed Jesus. There's more. There's a lot more. But you get the idea. The earliest followers of Jesus understood grace and lived out grace. They experienced grace in the same way people experienced grace when they met Jesus face to face. When people, the earliest Christians, would go out, they would operate in a way where people heard God's word. They experienced freedom and deliverance. And all of this is an expression of what grace looks like when humanity and God meet and grace exists in that moment. What does it look like? It looks like all of these things that we're talking about this morning. When you turn to God and you say, God, I know you're gracious, what does that look like? 
You can turn to Scripture and you can say, okay, I know that when Jesus was here, he was fully human and fully God. And when he met with people, that was a grace encounter, and this is what it looked like. And we can pray into that and we can say, God, I need your help. I have questions. I need healing. I need some type of supernatural provision. I don't know what to do to get out of this situation. God, I want a window into your plans and purposes for my life, but for all of our lives. I, I want to know your heart, Lord God. I want to have your character more deeply so that I can in some way love people more fully and more deeply. I don't think I can do it on my own, God, but I need your grace to help me do it. This is what grace looks like. As we finish this morning, I want to actually mention, uh, so a lot of this sounds good, right? But there's some challenging parts to grace. I'm going to list three areas in which grace is challenging. Which, so we've talked about what does grace look like. I want to talk about three very quick challenges of grace. A challenge of grace is, is so relentlessly loving. Grace is so relentlessly loving. Uh, why is that a challenge? It's a challenge because we're not used to that. We do not live that way. None of us is relentlessly loving. Either in expressing love, in living out love, we might want to be, but we're just not able to do it in our own strength. But God is relentlessly loving. Uh, We also aren't used to receiving love like that. And so sometimes it's a challenge for us to just even simply be able to receive such love and grace in our lives. Uh, the second way that, lo- uh, that grace is challenging is that it's so inclusive. Uh, grace is for everyone. Um, if there's somebody that you just really do not like, they just really get on your nerves, or you just fundamentally just cannot seem to get along with that person, you might have a long track record or history of not being able to get along with that person, They might be someone you know well, someone you don't. It doesn't really matter. For the point of this illustration, grace is for them equally as it's for you. Uh, Time and time again, Jesus expressed grace to people who were completely unexpected. Time and time again, we read in Scripture that grace is for everyone. And that's hard for us. Because we often want grace to be for us first and maybe some other people, but only if we like them. Grace is for everyone. The final challenge of grace is that grace is something to be lived out. And so you see living in grace. Grace is something to be lived out. Grace doesn't keep us where we are today. Grace wants to continually move us forward in our relationship with God so that we go deeper and deeper and growing in our maturity and in our sanctification. Grace is both relentless in its love and relentless in its purposes to make us more Christ-like. So grace is challenging in some ways because we're just not used to such incredible favor and love. I want to close this morning by praying for us, but as I do, I want to share some, some words with you that are probably quite familiar, and especially if you grew up in the church. Uh, there's a, a hymn that's very famous, and I, I don't want us to sing it, I just want you to hear the words and hopefully hear them 
in a fresh way this morning as we've talked about grace. I'm just going to read these words, and then I'm just going to pray for us as we finish our service this morning. And again, I just want you to kind of receive and just to hear this this morning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. It was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you that we can experience your grace, not just mentally or as an idea, but we can actually experience your grace. Grace for salvation, so that we can enter into eternal life, but also grace as we go about our day, as we come to you with our burdens and our needs and the desires that you've placed on our hearts. God, I pray for each person here that you would lead each one into deeper knowledge and experience of your grace. That where they meet you, God, they would experience that point of grace, that grace encounter. Jesus, I pray that you would be with each person and family this week, that you would watch over them, guide them, protect them, bless them, provide for them. We give you thanks this morning, God, for this church community, the chance to come and worship together, to have fellowship and to hear your word. I ask God you be with us all. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.